Welcome to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, a podcast about geek culture by lawyers with your hosts, Ben Siders and Kurt Damon. And welcome back to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, the podcast that asks interesting questions that don't have any answers. With your host, Ben Siders, that's me. And the other guy is, as always, Kurt Damon. That's Kurt, catching the captain of the Enterprise. We are, I just forgot what our intro says. We are intellectual <laughs> property lawyers and certified geeks. Practicing law in St. Louis, Missouri, you can find me, Ben, on Twitter at Benjamin Siders, and you can find Kirk at KirkDMN. I just realized when I was saying that how awkward it is to say. Uh, <laughs> Warrior's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, the podcast that asks interesting questions. There's a, lot of, S's. a lot of S's, a lot of hissing in there. So we need, we need to rewrite that or something. Or just record a bumper like we play it every time. Uh, we're talking today about video games and Twitch. Uh, this question actually came to us on, I think, Facebook. We got a question from somebody Sounds who said, yeah. he said, why don't you talk about Twitch? I'm like, well, I don't know. We probably should. So we're gonna. Um, Twitch is, so let's start with the basics. What is Twitch, Kirk? So Twitch is, I mean, I guess the best way to put it is it is a, I would call it a video streaming platform. I mean, it obviously yeah. does audios for stuff like that. I consider it akin to YouTube, consider any other user-created yeah. content platform, but it's become particularly associated with and has a lot of content about playing video games. Yeah, that seems to be the focus, although I do recall uh, when the Blues had their Stanley Cup run, there was a bunch of uh, NHL stuff on there, yeah. too. So, um, And you'll see, like, like World of Warcraft, or we play Hearthstone, or we used to. We don't play so much anymore. Yeah, we just play Hearthstone anymore, though I, I, I think we both now, and I definitely have played State of Survival uh, reasonably aggressively, and I'm seeing stuff on Twitch and State of Survival as well. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I remember when uh, Hearthstone would have, like, like expansion announcements, they'd live stream the announcement uh, on Twitch sometimes. And Twitch has a lot of tie-ins with video games where, um, oh, there's my computer reminding me to record the podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, we would see things where, like, you know, you can get loot crates if you connect your Twitch account to your whatever game account yeah. or get special uh, perks and things like that. So Twitch is, is very deeply embedded into uh, what we call gaming culture and streaming in particular. And uh, so if you've never seen it, it really is very YouTube-like. Um, yeah. You get to it and people upload. You, can, you can't upload videos and content, but for the most part, whereas YouTube is mostly uploaded content, I feel like Twitch, their strength is live stream content. Yeah, they're really doing a lot of I think, live stream content. It's not so much pre-recorded content. I shouldn't say recorded content, but pre-recorded content, yeah. where somebody's recording it on another device and then uploading it, which is really what you see in YouTube. This is people, I think, using Twitch to record. They're either presenting it live or they're yeah. you know presenting the recordings later on. Um, we you followed know, some streamers from time to time uh, with Hearthstone, and you'd see them sometimes say, hey, I'm going live on Twitch, you know, from two to four, yeah. and they just live stream their games and they talk and they have little chat windows and people can come in and there's a way you can monetize all this. There's like a currency in Twitch you can get, you can donate the <laughs> currency yeah. to streamers and you you know if you're, if you're good at this, if you're engaging uh, and if you're attractive, uh, you can you can make some money off of uh, being on Twitch and having people watch you play video games. I, I think one of the big things you really have with Twitch, I think a lot of where you know in some sense Twitch got its its associations and things like that is I think Twitch was just a very good platform for people where they were doing game walkthroughs where yeah. it was the hey you know and, and, and I, I come about this and I think we've said it in some of the other podcasts I know I talked about it in my, my complexity of games podcast games don't have instruction manuals anymore no. like there's no instructions at all other than maybe maybe how to install it or download it or configure yeah, you settings. download it and then you just load it and play it so yeah. games increasingly have the instructions built into the gaming experience the game part of the game is teaching you how to play the game you have to have tutorials uh, and if that's not enough to figure it out then yeah you have to go online and figure it out because mm -hmm. you don't even get a physical box anymore to yeah. put the instructions in <laughs> and nobody's opening a PDF that you download with yeah. the game assuming you can even find it yeah and I think the real thing with it what you're seeing with it is you're seeing a lot 
lot of the instruction has to come from other players that have done it. Yeah. Um, the times when it comes to, you know, maximizing the game experience or how to do best in this environment. And, and I think you're seeing a lot of that again as games complexity is going up of people trying to, for lack of a better term, it's almost an industry to reverse engineer the game algorithms. Yeah. And then, but not reverse engineer them, to just tell them this is people how you use them. Whereas, you know, the game designer could just say, hey, here's how the algorithm works, here's how to maximize it. They don't. They put it out there, then they expect these people to go and play it for, you know, hours and hours and hours and, and defeat the algorithm and then tell everybody else how to do it. <laughs> in some sense, it's what we all used to do in tabletop gaming with D&D back in the day. It's just min-max your character <laughs> yeah, exactly. to figure out how you can have a level one character that has a thaco yeah. of like 12, you know? Yeah. Uh, the answer was, uh, uh, would elf specialized in longbow with high uh, strength? Well, it's one of the things you did in every game. I think when you played, you know, role-playing games in conjunction with it. There's always different classes of characters. There were different races of characters. You know, I played a ton of Shadowrun. You know, you always played the troll as the street samurai. You never played the elf as the street samurai because he wasn't any good at it. You know, and so that was the thing. Is it's you, you had those types of things where you kind of had some of that min-maxing. I did a lot of it actually in custom mechs in Battletech. Uh, you know, and how do you, you know, how do you essentially stack on more weapons, you know, or more armor for these things? Um, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's funny. Um, so, uh, you know, that's what Twitch is kind of becoming, I think, is a place to go and uh, build your skill with these games. I think it's becoming games. a more general, like, audiovisual platform. I think one of the yeah. things we're seeing right now, I'm just going to mention, generally, we're talking about Twitch here. But, you know, what we're seeing, what I feel we're seeing in conjunction with a lot of social media, for lack of a better term, audiovisual platforms, Twitch, YouTube, Instagram, um, you know, TikTok, you know, any of these kind of things. The right? influencer platforms. They're, they're, yeah. they're all converging. They're all sort of coming together to be a lot of the same stuff which is just a platform for people to post audio visual. Yep. Now, yes, Twitch has particular association with gaming. TikTok has particular association with dancing, you know, stuff like that. But you can see everything on everything. I mean, there's, yeah. you know, there's commercial announcements now, like by businesses on TikTok, you know, like you see Facebook's stuff like that getting on into Twitch. this too. Yeah. Facebook has reels now, which I think exactly. is just Instagram and, and the TikTok. Yeah. And so I think you got a lot of this and I think maybe we really should just look at this and just say, when we're talking about Twitch, we're really talking about audio visual platforms. But the reason we're focusing, I think, particularly on Twitch is one, that was the, the sort of comment from the, from the reader, but also Twitch is so associated with video games and particularly player walkthroughs in video games where you're going to be showing on screen video game play. Yeah. And I think Twitch video games present unique issues. And I think there's there's two forms of, of art. And I'm gonna although Roger Ebert famously said a video game is not and can never be art, I firmly disagree. It's literally <laughs> nothing but art. Um, yeah. <laughs> Lots of art. <laughs> um, but um, you know, video, video of all the types of art we have, I think music and video games are among the two most difficult to deal with in the law. Uh, and, and, you know, music, all you gotta do is look at the Copyright Act and how much of it is basically very, very specific rules for dealing with how weird music is amongst all our different art forms. Um, it hasn't gotten polluted yet uh, by video games, um, but that, you know, that day may be coming. Uh, we'll, we'll see. But video games uh, in particular present strange issues because so let's let's before we recorded, Kirk and I were talking through this. So let's go through an example. Let's say I was to just upload a copy of Star Wars Episode Four to Twitch. Yeah. Okay. S simple enough. Um, if I'm if I'm Lucasfilm, I can go to my copyright re registration certificate that I have for whatever version got uploaded, and then I can send a takedown notice to Twitch and say, um, "That's mine. Here's my registration certificate. If you were to go to the copyright office and pull up the deposit I sent to them and play it side by side with this uh, thing that got uploaded, it is identical, yeah. frame by frame, it's the exact same work." 
Um, so that's mine. And likewise, if I uploaded a five-minute, you know, um, excerpt, I'd say, well, here's those five minutes. It's exactly mine. That is not the case with video games. <laughs> yeah, the, the problem you bump into with video games is, you know, as we say, it's the streamer in the course of doing this is creating some of the content. Now, obviously, you know, the imagery of their character, how their character moves, these are all things that have been programmed. They've all been designed by art directors. I mean, anybody who's been into the art of video games, you've seen, you know, oftentimes, like, the, you know, oil paint drawings that become characters, you mm -hmm. know, they start off with, you know, things like that. There's a lot of what we'd say more sort of more traditional art oftentimes behind a video game, mm -hmm. but we can't say that there's no video, there's no art in here, there's nothing created. Again, the appearance of a monster or the appearance of a character, you know, could easily be a picture. Yeah. <laughs> it's just when you do the things in conjunction with it and you look at what is coming across in the video game, the exact play is being carried out by the player. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes it's something that's never been done. And I'm going to, I'm going to reference it. There's a couple times we've, we talked about it. One of the things we're also joking about is we also both happen to have just seen Free Guy. Yes. Um, on Disney, which it, I would say in condition, if you haven't seen it, that is a movie worth seeing surprisingly if you're into gaming culture. It's, it's surprisingly intelligent. Yeah. Well, at the same time, it's accessible to pretty much anybody. My kids loved yeah, it. My kids did too. It's also really funny at times. Um, and it does kind of have some fun making fun of gamer culture. It has a, a not subtle, but <laughs> subtle enough incisive commentary on, on gamer pro culture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and, but you, you get it. You kind of, you, you get why it's funny yeah. and sort of things like that, you know, behind it. But it's also got a cute story. You know, there's lots of sort of cute things that occur in it. But one of the things with it, and it's, I, I think that the big thing with it is when, you know, the whole focus of it, just give me the focus of the movie, is trying to find this potentially hidden piece of code which was stolen. That's yep. a, an issue behind the basic movie. And the, the comment with it is trying to watch this streamer and the video he has of a secret level. And that's something that starts on right in the beginning and the secret level has something to do with this. But the concept of somebody going in and finding this, what was effectively a glitch in the game, exploiting the glitch and then posting this all over Twitter platform, mm -hmm. Twitch platform, something the equivalent of Twitch in this, yep. um, is I think a very, you know, useful commentary of the way of looking at what a lot of what we see in this. You know, is that code there? Of course the code is there, but finding it, finding the glitch is not part of the game. That was never intended by mm -hmm. the people who, who generated the game, that someone would go and find these glitches and exploit them. Um, I know from talking to my son about it, I, I didn't know this, but apparently there's an open glitch in Minecraft where you can actually build above bedrock. Yes. Um, my kid knows how to do that, yeah. too. You know, I mean, I had no idea about this, but apparently they kept it now. It's, a, it's actually like something they're not going to get uh, you know, So, a side <laughs> note, the way I discovered this is that I went to, uh, you can do it in the nether, I guess. Yeah. And I discovered it because I went to our nether, uh, those of you who haven't played Minecraft, I apologize, it'd be very boring to you, but uh, we went into the nether and uh, they had, Hayden or one of our colleagues' kids had built a gold farming apparatus that towered above the top of the bedrock in the nether. Uh, since there's no monsters that spawn up there, the, uh, going back to your point about the reverse engineering the algorithm, people have figured out how to maximize the spawn rate. Yeah. So they built this huge platform like 100 blocks above the bedrock where nothing else could ever spawn. So the only thing that spawns is the stuff you want because you put down the kind of terrain to get it to spawn. Then you can generate an insane amount of gold. Yeah. Uh, and it, I mean, it must have taken like, days to set this up. Yeah. But the, the point is you use a glitch to break to the, the bedrock to do that. Yeah, and my son has done it in conjunction with using it for transportation, where you basically use nether portals. And because there's, again, nothing spawns and it's completely flat, you can just have, you know, rocket propelled, you know, yeah. mine carts <laughs> that just take you between nether portals. Um, but yeah, so it's, I think the thing behind that is, is talking about 
we can look and say there's definitely artwork in these games, there's definitely mm -hmm. intellectual property in these games, there's copyrighted works inside these games. But a lot of this is not what was ever really intended or originally developed as that artwork. That's the kind of things that we're bumping into. We talked about this on our Minecraft episode from Season 1, which maybe I'll run that as a, as a rewind um, one of these days. Um, but with video games are, are unique because, you know, with, with Twitch, you're not uploading the game code, right? Like, if, I, if yep. I'm a video games a studio, and I'm going to file a copy... You cannot play the game watching something on Twitch. You still have to go out and yeah. buy the game. It's useless game. to you. So, if I'm filing a copyright registration, I'm going to file it on the object code for my game. I'm going to file it on the source code. But neither of those is what gets uploaded. It's a video of somebody playing the game. So, unlike other forms of art, it'd be more like the musical instrument as opposed to... And then the, the player is producing the music. Yeah. Uh, and then, much like a musical instrument, the sound that comes out... Uh, you know, the, the range of sounds, the range of what you can produce is limited by whoever designed the instrument, but ultimately the player is in charge of what comes out of it. With an instrument, we would say the player of the instrument owns the copyright in the song they produce, assuming it's otherwise original, uh, even though the tones are defined by, um, you know, the, the shape of the horn, you know, um, yeah. the quality of the instrument. Um, likewise, with a, a different type of software, like, say, a Photoshop, a graphics editing program, you know, Photoshop would never stake a claim to what you, you know, what graphical art you produce that comes out of it. Yet, with video games, we don't think about it that way. And with, yeah. with a game like Minecraft, it's especially peculiar because the Minecraft worlds are either procedurally generated, which uh, we know from um, the Selfie Monkey case. Um, it's questionable whether there's any copyright that uh, the Minecraft producers would own in the procedurally generated worlds. They would own the code to generate the worlds, but not necessarily the worlds themselves. Uh, I think that's up in the air. But then also, we can reskin everything. So all the art that's distributed with the game, I could have a Twitch stream where nothing I show was ever produced by Minecraft. Yeah. So so now what? Yeah, now you get into the things with that. It's... And it is, it's an interesting one. The one that I get into part of it, and I'm going to shoot a little bit from the hip there if I remember the thing with it. Originally, the idea that there was copyright in the imagery of the game came from Duke Nukem, if I remember correctly, was the actual case that had to do with it. And That was the, the level game. Days, the, yeah, the level case. Well, there's the level case where they double outside levels that were about to be used. But there was also an issue where they actually did register screenshots. And again, it was from Duke Nukem. I'm going off of what I remember from when I did my paper you know, 20 years ago in yeah. connection with the universe. Um, of having to do with the idea that screenshots could be copyrighted. So the appearance of, you know, the the first person shooter, the gun in the center of the hands, the, you know, appearances to what it was, there could be a particular look, which was Duke Nukem versus being other first person shooters, you know, Doom at the time, mm -hmm. um, you know, and stuff like that. So that's some of where this comes from, is the idea that there is copyright in that end look of a game. Mm -hmm. There's also a case having to do with generation of custom levels and the distribution of custom levels and the idea that that was a violation of copyright. Although there, you get into the idea that, you know, somewhat they did use the code behind it. Yeah. But they, it wasn't the code they said was the violation. It was some of the appearance of the, of the levels. So we've got into an area where I think our law in this is, think early first-person shooter. I mean, so we're talking early 90s. Yeah. You know, as to the I mean, time Wolfenstein that... Wolfenstein was 90? 91? Yeah, like 1991, something that. like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, I'm trying to remember because Doom is uh, like, you know, 94, if I remember right. Yeah. 93, 94. Our millennial listeners are saying, um, you guys are old. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and, and those, those are the things. For, but it's, I think one of those where we've got to realize that the copyright law, when you say, yes, we're old, <laughs> copyright law in this is only 30 years old. <laughs> well, yeah, just recognize a First Amendment right in video games. Um, <laughs> Within, with, I mean, in the 21st century, I mean, that's relatively yeah. new. 
Uh, and it wasn't clear that uh, the courts would do that. So um, there, you know, there's a lot of oddities with video games. For purposes of, of this podcast, we wanted to raise all that just to show, here be dragons, right? Like, this, this is all yeah. up in the air. Well, how many times in this podcast have we told you guys copyright's complicated? You yeah. know, and, and well, just pointing it's out all these It's the beginning. You know, these are questions that don't have any answers. <laughs> if they did, you wouldn't want to talk to us about it. Um, so, but we're going to assume for purposes of, of basically the rest of the podcast that, that, you know, somebody is streaming video game content. And what they're streaming is copyrighted. We'll just assume yeah. it's copyrighted and not by them. Uh, it's by the uh, video game company, although I do think there is a reasonable argument to be made for joint authorship in certain circumstances. That gets into weird things with derivative works that we're just not going to talk about right now. So let's assume yeah. for sake of argument, the video game's copyrighted. How then do the streamers get the rights to display this stuff on Twitch? Uh, do they need any rights? Let's start with that. Do they need any rights to to display this content on Twitch? Yeah, I'm starting to technically, yes, unless yeah. we're going to call this fair use. Yeah. I mean, I think that's about the only way we're going to get around it being fair use. The hard part with it is, and I think we've said it before on this podcast, and I mean, I've definitely said it in my you know, presentations I give on copyright, Fair use is really, really complicated, and it's a balancing test. Yes. And so the hard part is, is you can't just unequivocally say something which would be done on um, Twitch is fair use. You know, this would be something we have to analyze every single Twitch streamer, what exactly yes. they're doing, you know, in conjunction with it. So I because think they are monetizing. There's a commercial yeah, there's aspect. There's a commercial aspect. But then how do you do – so, let's, well, before I do fair use, let's, let's start with this. Um you know, the scope of the copyright rights that the yeah. owner gets depends on what kind of work it is. So let's first identify what kind of work the video game is, okay? <laughs> so if you're curious, if you're playing along at home, Google 17 USC 102. <laughs> you will get the list of copyrighted works. And run through these and see what Kirk thinks. The first type of work is literary work. Yeah. No. Yeah. Not no. A literary work. Although software is usually categorized yes. as literary work, but... It's not as a video game. Well, we're talking about the appearance at this point in time. Now, it has literary elements usually, right? Sometimes it does. I think modern games, not nearly so much as games we grew up yeah, on. But... Yeah, the RPGs we had were basically <laughs> books you played. Okay, number two, musical works. It has musical work in it. It has music in it. Now, it that music may not be being used by the streamer because they may yeah. have the volume off. You know, yep. they may be, because a lot of times they're talking over it. And so. that creates additional messes because then you have to have sync rights too, which we're, again, not going to get into. Yep. Dramatic works including any accompanying music. Yeah, now we're, now we're starting to sound right. I mean, uh, getting closer. <laughs> yeah. Dramatic works are like plays, usually. Um, but it can be so a movie. Yeah, but there's, a, there's usually a storyboard or, or, a, or a screenplay-like uh, background to a lot of video games, especially... Yeah. But dramatic work can also include like a live poetry reading. So. Yeah, it could. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, but I'm thinking like Minecraft. Is Minecraft a dramatic work? No. No, not yeah. really. Okay, uh, number four. Pantomimes and choreographic work. Um, well, maybe in Fortnite. <laughs> <laughs> I think probably not because we're no. really talking about applying applying something to something else. Yeah, which I don't think is quite accurate here. Okay, number five: pictorial, graphic, and sculptural works. That's more still <sighs> image. Yeah, um, that mostly means still images. Yeah, sculptures no. Pictorial is is usually photographs. Um, graphic, graphic art. I mean, there are graphics yeah. in the game. <laughs> uh, six motion pictures. So close. So close, yeah. I mean, and that's where we're kind of getting motion pictures, dramatic works. Why is motion yeah. picture not a dramatic work? I mean... Yeah, well, you could make... So motion picture could be... The dramatic work is like the screenplay. The motion yeah. picture is the film. The result, you know? yeah. yeah. Uh, but there's another category, number six. Motion pictures and other audiovisual yeah, works. works. Yeah. That sounds like That's it. where it's probably going to yeah. end up, yeah. Now, the interesting thing is what they meant there is other things like motion pictures, TV shows... Uh, you know, short, short films, <laughs> yeah, th things like that. Um, I, I don't think the Copyright Act, when they wrote this, meant, oh, and video games, too. Um, seven, sound recordings. Again, no, there no. are sound recordings in it, but no. And then eight, architectural works. 
No. I, I mean, would also say it's probably not a sound recording because it's not actually the recording. It's just the performance, which yeah. is a different category. Yeah. So none of these are really a good fit. And I think, um, I don't actually know where video games fit. I know software. I think they fall under audiovisual. Yeah. Software is usually literary work, but there are other elements that would all be combined together. And it may be one of the, what they call a, a combined work. We have multiple different forms of copyrights put together. But that makes it even messier because in the combined work is the same yeah. type of work of what if it's a combination of, but what if it's a combination of lots of different yeah. stuff? Like well, a video that's part game. of the reason I jumped into fair use and sort of started yeah. with fair use is what, what is that really sort of jumped into there is because I want to say fair use doesn't work. Yeah. Um, I think that's our, our key problem. It's fair use would require the level of complexity to determine whether or not any one stream on Twitch, you know, is fair use is, is, is just beyond anything. I mean, even an AI couldn't do it in today's day and age. I mean, I remember hearing a statistic, and this is years ago, and I don't know if it's even true, but I remember hearing a statistic um, in a presentation, and the comment they made is that every seven minutes, there is as much audiovisual yep. content uploaded to YouTube as has been broadcast on broadcast TV. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Like, we, the we, entire history of broadcast TV is covered by seven minutes of YouTube. We, we bring the statistic <laughs> up frequently because uh, it's it, it, it bears repeating. Uh, and and that's, that's a dated one, too. I'm sure it's yeah, more at it's this definitely point. definitely dated. You know, how do you go through all this? Um, and let's, let's look at the fair use factors because that's the simplest way to avoid. You could go through the copyright yeah. rights. And if you want to, again, playing along at home, 17 USC 106 has the copyright rights. But if you look at that, you'll see that what rights you need depend on what kind of work it is. And as we just established, it's a little bit of a lot of things. Yeah. Um, so there could imply a lot of things. Yeah. Again, we can look at it and say we can make it an audiovisual work by eliminating the sound, yeah. by making it a pure screenshot, watching it occur. We probably can say it's an audiovisual work. Yeah. At that point in time, or a dramatic work if we want to say it's done live as a stream. Yeah. So we can potentially force it into one category, but it, again, it's somewhat dependent on what is the person streaming. Yeah. I think your right. audiovisual is probably the best. Like the software itself is the literary work. Yeah. But the stream of somebody playing it is more like a performance. That would yeah. be more audiovisual work. That's also where so, we get a bit into dramatic. Is is it yeah. because a performance and a performative work, if it's live streamed versus recorded, that's the, the movie versus dramatic work yeah. question. So you, you get around all this by looking at fair use, but and we've done this analysis before. We'll run through it real quick. The fair use factors um, aren't, aren't clean or neat here. So factor one, the purpose and character of the use, including whether it is of commercial nature or for nonprofit educational purposes. Yeah. I don't know why there's an or there. <laughs> Something can be both commercial and uh, nonprofit education. <laughs> yeah, I think the thing was, I mean, in some sense, just the way it got written, I think, is to the way they have it. But, this is, I think the vast majority of Twitch streaming people are intending this to not be educational and traditional educational sense. They're definitely, I mean, they, they want to teach people, yeah. right? Because, I mean, you're tuning in because it's entertaining, but you're also learning how to play better. Now, in some sense, you are learning how to play better. In some sense, you're not. You are just tuning in for entertainment. Yeah, sometimes just for that. Um, so, you know, it's not strongly nonprofit educational, uh, commercial nature. I mean, some I mean, is bluntly commercial. Yeah, someone's I mean, getting paid. Uh, number two, the nature of the copyrighted work. Well, now we're back to where we started. Yeah, where we started. Um, what exactly is it that's being infringed? Because the stream that the person produces is based on their inputs into yep. the game, and they're influencing the output. And I think there's an argument that they are possibly a, a co-author of whatever the resulting content is. And this is where I think we now bump into the question of what does you know the copyright in the screenshot versus the copyright in this code. And that's why I brought up this the Duke Nukem case is to just sort of point out when we talk about the idea of it being copyrighted in the imagery, this is a relatively new concept compared to I mean, video games were a relatively new concept. They've only been since, since what the late seventies, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, you know that kind of thing is what it is. So 
we've got these relatively new concepts colliding. We've also got, when we were talking about the case law around what was screenshots, you know, we were talking about discs that were sold in conjunction yeah. with alternate levels. Like, this is a different world from what yeah. streaming is. You know, you could have probably registered YouTube as a domain name for 25 cents if you could have registered domain names at the time. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? like, For those of you who were born <laughs> after about 1996, uh, there used to be stores you would go to, and they had the games GameStop. in boxes. GameStop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess they still do have that. So, um, I, just, I, never, I haven't been to one in forever. I mean, who, I guess for maybe for... Uh, what, do you, what do you buy at GameStop these yeah. days? Well, I'll, I know some of it's cartridges for the, the games. Oh, yeah. Stuff. See, I don't play so The one that I'll, I'll think is interesting and I'll comment about, so I was actually just had to clean our garage out, and I actually have in there, I found it, there was a guy who was doing a game, a computer museum in California, and he was looking for stuff that was, you know, like packaged and things like that, trying to get original computers and original software. And I found, I actually never sent it to him. I have the game Black and White. I don't know how many people actually remember that game or not. Ben didn't even know what it is. It was a unique concept of a game because you get to sort of be in the position of an overlord to take on this world. And you can be good or evil. That was the black or white. And you can basically turn this face into an awful hellhole or you can turn it into a paradise and both are successful. Um, and so it's how do you sort of follow through in the course of doing it. But I had the box. I have all the discs. I have all the instruction manuals because I only played the game like once. I didn't like it. Actually, when I tried playing it, and I just packed it up. And so I had this thing packed up. So I was going to send it to this guy with the computer museum because it's original boxed software. Mm-hmm. It still has a, an actual like Best Buy sales tag on it. It was thirty nine ninety five. dollars So, you know, but it's, it's those kind of things where, uh, you know, yeah, the, the world was very different at the time we're doing what we're talking about with this. And the time that we started to recognize maybe there needs to be rights in the art the appearance mm-hmm. of video games. And I'm not sure that law has advanced that much either. And I, I don't know that fair use knows how to deal with it either. So let's look at the third factor, the amount and substantiality of the portion used. Well, what? I mean, how do you decal- portion? Portion of what? Of <laughs> yeah. the source code? I mean, so if you're playing Hearthstone, where you're going to use most of the source code, I guess, and most of the art, or are you? Because really you're only going to play, you only have 30 cards in your deck out of the thousands that there are. So... <laughs> Maybe you're not using that much, or or Minecraft. You know, I, who knows? How do you count that? Even how much you're using? So that that's an almost incoherent inquiry. Uh, and then the effect of the use upon the potential market for or the value of the copyrighted work. This is the one where people say, "Aren't I actually increasing the value of your work by giving you exposure?" Yeah. Uh, that line of thinking is is generally not recognized, except in Google v. Oracle, but yeah. otherwise generally not recognized. Um, However, um, I think there is a compelling argument with Twitch that these people are having no negative effect at all. Yeah, I think one of the real keys to this, to keep in mind with the game, is I can watch thousands and thousands of videos on Twitch. I cannot play the game. Still can't play it, yeah. Yeah, I still can't play it. In order for me to play the game, I have to get the game in order to do it. I mean, and, and that's the thing, like, you know, taking, again, from a traditional YouTube case and the questions of, like, music infringement, technically I could listen to the Prince song by watching the Dancing Baby video over and over and over yeah. again instead of buying the song. So we, we can kind of look at it and say, okay, yes, there was a way to do that. I can't play the game. But at the same time, if I can watch the game, do I need to play the game? It depends. Like, if you don't want to play it, then you're not going to buy it anyway. So, has it has it had any effect? But if I want to watch, like, watch it, the example I'm thinking of in sort of early things with it, I'll, I'll use my own personal experience. I played through Doom on God Mode because I wanted to see what the heck the end yeah. looked like. <laughs> you know, and it's amazing. Like, you've seen the visuals of the end of Doom. It was really cool. Like, you know, yeah, well, you had to fight through it and stuff like that. It was insanely hard. 
you know, but it's one of those things where like when you looked at it and you say, you know, what are these things? You know, what were you, what were you dealing with? In God mode, you can't die. You're not really playing the game. You're mostly looking at the visuals. And I remember when I was a kid, um, we had a, a neighbor who collected the actual video game machines, the arcade machines. Mm -hmm. And we went to his house and he had one and I can't even remember what it was, but it was one of these where, and you can see like versions of this out now where you fly the, you know, the bomber, the, you know, World War II era bomber and you mm -hmm. bomb things, or you fly a fighter and shoot things out. It's kind of a fancy version of Space Invaders in some respects, uh, but that's what you do in conjunction with this. And it was the, the uniqueness of that game is that its backgrounds and all of its imagery was stored on a laser disc that was inside the game. It was the first that did it. That's why he owned it as a collectible. But it had a setting where which was effectively God mode. You couldn't die. But the reason it had it is so that you could watch the entire laser disc of the backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of look at it and you're like, well, there's a market, presumably, even from early video games, of just watching the game play out. Yeah. So I could potentially buy the game just to watch the game play out. People have done that with, like, Civilization. There's been a bunch of... And I've watched some of these because they're interesting. Uh, people will just load in every Civilization in the game. I mean, you have to mod the game to do it. But you put every Civ in the game, set them all as AIs, and then just turn them loose to play and see what happens. Yeah. You know, put them on Earth and see, you know, who, who winds up winning. Yeah. Um, it's actually really interesting, uh, just from like a sort of a sociological or a, uh, an AI perspective on, you know, which, which civilizations have the most advantages that are the best key to their terrain yeah. and their strategies. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to jump on it. That's part of the premise of Free Guy. You know, when they get into it is it's, and, and we're going to give a bit of the movie away, you know, in conjunction with it here. So if you, you want to skip for a few minutes, if you haven't seen it and want to see it. But Free Guy is an AI, is which uh, to me they gave that away two minutes in, even though yeah, they tell that, that, you that, an that's hour not a big spoiler. In. Yeah, you know they tell you an hour in that it is, but they give it away two minutes in from you know what you have with it. But he's effectively an AI, and he gets triggered and starts learning, and that's the key yep. to what what forms him with it. But one of the key lines in the movie, because of the way the game, the code they're looking for and what they're searching for, is who would have thought people would want to just watch AIs live in a world instead of kill them in it? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's, it's a key I line I guess they never the heard movie. of The Sims? <laughs> yeah. It's a key line to the movie, but it's one of those things where, again, we sort of, I comment that movie had some intelligent things in it. It is. There, there is this incentive to just watch AIs live. It's almost like a science experiment. You know, like, why do people yeah. have ant colonies, you know? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, and we have, there's, there's a bunch of things where you can do simulations on the web, you know, things like that. You know, there's, there's, I'm trying to think, there's the one that's about simulating virus spread, you know, which became popular, obviously, at the mm -hmm. beginning of COVID. Um, and things that, there's, there's a lot of these that just are simulators where effectively what you're doing is you're just watching what happens. And you're watching the computer play the computer. And I mean, I've done it. I remember watching the computer play the computer in StarCraft. Mm -hmm. You know, just because it was kind of fun to watch what it would do. Same idea of like having civilization, you know, play the things uh, and play all the cultures. It's kind of interesting sometimes to just see what does the system do. And so uh, that's where I think, and, and what I'm really saying with this is it's complicated because we kind of look at it and say, what's the nature of the copyrighted work stolen? Or what's the, the effect on the market for the copyrighted work? And we look at it and say, well, there really isn't any because the copyrighted work is the game. Except there actually could be, even though you can't play the game, you're just watching. Yes. Yeah. Well, let's say the copyrighted work is the stream itself, but this, that work is being created as if we're in a live stream situation, it didn't exist before. Yeah, exactly. And it may not exist afterwards. So, although I guess you would maybe still need the broadcast rights, the public display rights. Um, how can there be any effect on the stream when you're the one making the stream? It's 
So yeah. back to my argument that isn't it the streamers? Yeah. Doesn't the stream belong to the streamer? And now we're, now we're very complicated. And yeah. basically that's, I think, where we're going with this is to say, hey, fair use is not going to really help us here because it's, no. as much as it's complicated as what is copyrighted, now we've complicated is, is does fair use apply? And if it does, how so? What we're really saying in conjunction with this is, and, and this is where I sort of started this conversation, we have to look at every individual stream to have any argument about whether or not fair use applies and how it flies because they're all different. They all involve different things. How people generate them is different. So let's just toss it. And I think yeah. that's where I'm going to start with is let's get rid of the easy answer. I think a lot of people would say is, oh, this is fair use and say it's not clearly fair yeah. use. It's not clearly not fair use, but it's not clearly fair use. So we can't start there. We have yeah. to toss that and say, is there something which it is and, and deals with here? We can get some ideas from looking at what Twitch thinks it is, um, which is evident in their license agreement. So yeah. when you go use their service, they have something called the Terms of Service. Uh, and in Section uh, 8, called User Content, it talks about uh, what you upload. Uh, I'm not going to read a bunch of this to you guys because it is, is lengthy and uh, it's written, written by lawyers. And although it's uh, fascinating reading to me, it will not be to you. <laughs> so, um, but... It does very clearly say, uh, without without any equivocation, that you may only upload the things that you have the rights to upload, uh, including the audiovisual content, music, everything. So you ha are giving a warranty and a guarantee to Twitch that whatever you upload, you uh, own or otherwise have the rights to upload, including the rights of publicity in anybody who is shown, depicted, or portrayed in your content. Um, and you're saying that you've got all the required consents and permissions from all those people. This is a very common approach by virtually every content platform that yep. lets you upload stuff. They basically have a two-pronged uh, defense for this. One, I put it on the user to collect these rights. I tell them you're not allowed to upload anything that doesn't belong to you, that you don't have the right to upload. Uh, if you're caught doing that, I'm going to turn your account off or sanction you or delete it or whatever. And just in case the owner of the copyrighted material that you're uploading gets mad at me, I'm going to register a DMCA agent with the copyright office, and if they send me a takedown notice, I'm taking it down. Yeah. So uh, you have sort of a statutory solution here in the DMCA. That's a Digital Millennium Copyright Act, if you're not familiar with it. Um, that's a notice and takedown regime uh, enacted in the 90s. Still got it. Uh, and they're also requiring the user to agree to not do exactly what we all know the user is going to do. Yeah, which is interesting. And the judgment, I think, is the key point, is the user agreement basically says you can't do what you're doing. Yeah. You know, in at least some cases. Now, one thing to keep in mind... Are there people on Twitch who have the license rights to do this? Most definitely. Yeah. There are Twitches generated by the company that wrote the video game. Are those yeah. authorized? Unquestionable. The NHL one I talked about, yeah. where they had some game that was being you know simulcast on Twitch. Obviously, the NHL owns its own content. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there's plenty of these that, that there's no question yeah. of. But we're talking about the ones where it's not that blunt, you know, bluntly yeah. obvious. Your, your, your 14-year-old who's just getting started on streaming probably, if possible, but probably does not have any <laughs> contracts yeah. with whoever games he's playing to put this stuff on here. But in that sense, is no different than YouTube. I watch videos by, uh, I forget his name, uh, he goes by Quill on YouTube, but he does a bunch of Civilization VI playthroughs, and I've, I've watched a bunch of those. Well, my, my daughter is really into watching the, the Minecraft... The, the way I put it is it's sort of, it's the dramatic plays within Minecraft. Yeah. So they're not really playing Minecraft. They're using Minecraft to do other things. Yeah, it's a stage for... It's for, a stage, yeah. We're back to choreographic works and dramatic works <laughs> yeah. now. It's, it's kind of scripted content. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's those kind of things. You know, the, I doubt a lot of those people have rights. Now, some of them do. I mean, some of these people have enormous numbers of followers. I think there's a good chance when you start talking about highly influential streamers, yeah. these are people who are getting rights. In some sense, and to jump back to the music case, you know, is parodying a song require you to have rights to the song? Not necessarily. 
did Weird Al Yankovic get rights to all the songs he parodied? Most definitely. Yes. Yeah. That was one of his you know, modus operandi. He just did it as part of what he did. Because, one, people were willing to give them to him because of who he was. <laughs> you know, And so it's, it's those kind of things where it's, there's going to be very, very successful streamers where the underlying company has said, no, we're going to formalize this arrangement. You are allowed to say this. We're going to even pay you, yep. um, you know, whatever it might be, because of the fact that we want you to do this content. Those kind of formal arrangements may have been non-formal and may have been infringement beforehand. But by the time that you bump into those, those are those are fine. What we really talk about in many respects is the less formal stuff. Yeah. You then also get into, and you mentioned it, and I was just going to talk about it quick because I think it's worth thinking. So let's take Minecraft. If I'm running on Minecraft and I'm running, let's say, four different skins on Minecraft that are created by four different companies, I don't have rights from all five, you know, more mm -hmm. than likely as to whatever I'm doing, maybe from one. Um, and so how do you bump into that? You know, you even got the idea, and that's where I want to talk about, you know, that piece of it. Even when we can say rights could be had, there's definitely going to be streams where the odds of somebody having all the rights they need in a strict copyright sense is virtually impossible. Yeah. You know, they just never would have asked, thought to ask for it. Uh, on that point about uh, you might be getting paid, there is a subsection E of Section 8 of the Terms of Service <laughs> called Endorsements Slash Testimonials. Mm -hmm. And it says something about you agree that your user content will comply with the FTC's guidelines concerning the use of testimonials and endorsements in advertising, among other things. I'll read the whole thing to you. Uh, this has also become a thing over the yep. last five years um, as companies hire uh, social media influencers to uh, endorse and promote their products. Um, which is nothing wrong with that, you can do that. Yep. But uh, if you've ever seen an endorsement on TV, if the person endorsing something was paid to endorse it, it says in the commercial that they received consideration, yeah. a paid endorsement. Actor portrayal, look for that one on the Actor bottom of the drug ad yes. So there are certain things you have to disclose to people about how you are doing your marketing and promotion, or it's considered a misleading or deceptive trade practice. Yeah. I went to have a lawyer here, uh, Sharla, who's been on the podcast a few times. She specializes in this kind of stuff in social media. And, and like a lot of things, uh, the FTC was a little slow to get around to social media because this thing is even more prone to abuse there, yeah. where influencers accumulate hundreds of thousands of followers and then uh, run around endorsing, being paid to say, this product is great and I love it. Well, now you have to disclose those things. And those contracts are very specific about that and about the person. Yeah. Because with you know, unlike a, a TV commercial uh, where you, you film it, you know exactly what the person's going to say. <laughs> if you pay someone to, to, you know, to promote your game on Twitch on like a five-hour stream... You, who knows what they're going to say, yeah. you know? So you got to kind of c cover that risk. Yeah. And I think in some sense, that's one where you can kind of look at it and say, hey, you know, the first one, they kind of kicked the content to the user and said, you're responsible yeah. for the content. In some sense, this one does make sense because the person who would violate it is the endorser yeah, themselves. To the, yeah, exactly. You know, so you, you get into the fact of it's, in some sense, that makes more sense to kick it. Um, it's what you have there. But yeah, it's, and again, I think the real key for us in that point of view is just keep in mind there's a whole area, another area of law here. A whole separate thing. It's not really IP, but yeah. <laughs> um, it involves, yeah, the, the FTC guidelines. I'm seeing that more and more in my contracting and stuff where, mm -hmm. especially with social media and, and advertising campaigns, you've always got to comply with that stuff. There's a whole separate element to this that, that goes, goes yeah. even deeper. Because the question was just what's up with Twitch, not just IP on Twitch. So, uh, yeah. so we're going to cover that as well. So, you know, ultimately, where do we wind up? I mean, it's, we, it's not clear what exactly is copyrighted. Yeah. It's not clear if what is streamed is the same as what is copyrighted or by the same people. <laughs> it's not clear if it's a fair use. And it's definitely clear that you have to have all those rights before you upload it. So how is everybody getting away with this? <laughs> the, the way I put this, and I'm going to use you to pick up my kids again, you know, it's what it is because we've been watching a lot of streaming TV. My kids have taken to, my son in particular, has taken to watching old Roadrunner cartoons, which he adores. 
And it's one of those things where I think what we have here is we have Wiley Coyote running along the path, you know, the rock that has already been separated but hasn't fallen yet. <laughs> it's completely stable until he starts jumping up and down on it or until he realizes that, you know, it's it's falling. You know, there's a lot of things that happen in those old cartoons. And I think Roadrunner is a perfect example where nothing happens to the character until they're aware of their predicament. You can yeah. run across empty space going straight like until there's a bridge there until you look down and realize there's nothing underneath you. Um, and, and I think that's some of what we have with this right now. We have a stable situation with Wiley Coyote on a rock that isn't moving. The camera hasn't panned out far enough yet to show yeah. whether or not it's attached. And, and that's kind of, I think, where, we're, where we stand with this is it's, we don't, we really don't know. Is this stuff legal? Now, obviously, it is advancing quickly. Mm -hmm. There's, I think, a lot of what you get into is probably, you know, lawyers internal to these companies or external to these companies that do this may have their own opinions of what they're okay with versus what they're not okay with. Some of them obviously will have, you know, specific policies that say, we're okay with you doing this, we're okay with you doing this. You know, Lucasfilm in particular is one that's known to have stuff, you know, the policies out there about what you can and can't do with their stuff. Mm -hmm. Um you know, and so it's it's one of those where I think you've got a lot from it where that's really the issue. I think you also, quite frankly, have a lot of just dodging the issue right now yeah. because of that argument with the, isn't what I'm doing actually helping you, is in some sense, while not a legal argument, a legitimate argument that can convince somebody. Yeah, yeah you wonder. So, uh, two, two thoughts on that. One is, to what extent do we have basically a commercial detente where, you know, everybody's happy with the status quo, yeah. right? Um, you know, the, it's not really costing the video game companies any money. They have trouble articulating damages. What good does an injunction do you? For every person you enjoy, you're going to get nine more streamers. I'm wondering if maybe the video game industry has has learned a lesson from the music industry's futile attempt to destroy the internet <laughs> <laughs> or regulate it um, and, and and sue people. I mean, I, I remember, I won't get into the details on that, but I just remember the music industry really struggled with what to do. We talked about this before on one of our prior episodes. Uh, we'll we'll uh, do that one's rewind episode too. But you know, when when these disruptive technologies show up, the existing industries often don't know what to do about it. Uh, sometimes they react well, sometimes they don't. Uh, the, the music and film industries have kind of struggled. I mean, they're still not making as much money as they were before, you know, Napster. Uh, they found a way to survive, but it has completely reshaped the industries. Uh, music in particular, there's no money put into um, acquisition, uh, talent acquisition or anything like that anymore, your, your artist repertoire. So, um, you know, it's, it's changed things. And um, I wonder if the video game industry has looked at this and said, rather than get in uh, aggressively and alienate and, and annoy uh, our customers, let's, let's not do that. <laughs> let's yeah. go the other way. And uh, I wonder if they're also being cautious because maybe they don't want there to be an answer here. Yeah, that's. I think one of the things to keep in mind with this is it's one of these situations, again, I, I, I'm, I use this Wiley Coyote analogy on purpose. They don't want to look down. Yeah. They know that if they look down, they may have nothing underneath them. But so they're just not looking down. Nobody's yeah. looking down. They're standing there not looking down and purposely not looking down, knowing that if they look down, they have a problem. And I think that that's some of what you do see with this is that you have neither side really wants an answer here. Yeah. And so we've potentially reached as an impasse, you know, for, for lack of a better term, you know, in, in some sense, there's a ceasefire being enforced because simply neither side is shooting. Yeah. Not because there's a ceasefire in place. Yeah. The shooting, um, it's a cold war, right? The shooting never started yeah, here. Exactly. Everybody's like, you know what? We're all we're all just kind of fine. And so the question we're with it is, we're going to offer time to have cold war analogies. What, yeah. <laughs> what will happen 
if shooting starts, you know, and I think yeah. that that's the biggest thing to, to take away from this and the way I put it is, you know, what's up with Twitch is the answer is legally there are issues here that have not been resolved. Yeah. But there doesn't seem to be any motivation currently the, to resolve them. The commercial interests of both <clears throat> sides of this seem to be generally aligned, which is what makes it different from music, right? The, the, the commercial interests of people who wanted to have free music were diametrically opposed to yeah. the interests of people who wanted to get paid to make it. Yeah. You know, but with video games, we don't have that. We don't have a situation where they're pirating video games. We have a situation where it's more like um, what we see on YouTube with people who are putting out, I watch a lot of these now, videos on how to play the guitar or how to play whatever it is you want to learn. Um, you know, they th those people are, are playing popular music, but they are not replacing purchasing popular music. They're doing something different. Um, and, and, you know, and I noticed that on YouTube, you can find, although I, you know, some, some musical artists will, will aggressively take things down. Uh, Don Henley and, and the Eagles are famous, uh, for that. I think Guns N' Roses also does that. Metallica used to. Um, but I, I can still go on YouTube right now and I can find 45 videos of somebody who's showing you how to play the solo from Hotel California. Um, a pretty clear fair use. I'm just teaching you how to do it, right? Even though maybe the channel gets monetized. So, you know, I think what we have here is that the commercial interests are aligned. And that being the case, why, why would you start shooting? Yeah, and I think that's, the, the again, the biggest thing we've really got here is that type of, you know, real situation where we have we have an impasse because of the fact that nobody wants a solution. You know, yeah. they kind of look at it and say any solution may be worse than the current situation because it's because it does give us more definitiveness, you mm -hmm. know, and, and that's a word um, behind this. Definition? <laughs> you know, yeah, definition may be the thing, but it's it's not even definition is what I want. I want it to be, you know, definite, yeah. you know, as to what it was it, it, behind it. Um, and clarity. So I, we want a clear, Yeah, you, you want know. clarity, and we don't necessarily want clarity because there's a value to it being opaque. Because, it, and the example I use is it's sort of the same kind of things you bump into sometimes in conjunction with criminal laws. Like, you know, one of the comments I remember them making is they said, you know, if there's no speed limits, you just say you have to drive a reasonable speed, you can get pulled over for driving any speed. Mm -hmm. And you have to realize that the opacity there actually gives you the volume to say anything is a violation, while they're also saying nothing is a violation. Yeah. And so, you know, when you get into this type of thing, you kind of look at it and say, well, we can look at it and say nothing's a violation, but I can also say everything's a violation. So if I don't like something in particular, I can always say that's an issue. And I think that's a lot of what we see right now is... There's things which are accepted to be used, you know, societal norms. For like, terms, I know we both listen to other podcasts, and I mean, one of the podcasts we both focus on loves to talk about societal norms. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a good thing, you know, so what it is, is we have societal norms around this. Whether or not those societal norms are actually legal has not been resolved. But nobody wants to resolve it because they're societal norms. And what we then have is, how much do we deviate from those societal norms? Yeah. Recognizing that the societal norm itself could be a violation, so therefore, any deviation could also be found to be a violation. That's what we kind of have as a scenario. And again, I, I like the Cold War analogy, again, even though it may be you know, strangely inappropriate for, you know, where we stand right now. Um, it's one of those things where, because we, we really have the idea that says, we're not going to use these. They are, you know, they are being used as a deterrent for other people to use them, which means neither one of us is ever going to. Yeah. Um, that's an intriguing concept as to what we have, I think, coming out of Twitch. Right? The, the, the norms, I think, is important to reference be, uh, for a number of reasons. But one is that if, if the social norms uh, that surround 
uh, something like this, something like, like how we use Twitch, how we experience content. If they get too far out of whack with the law or out of synchronization, um, what, what you run into is, you know, we can't afford to police everybody. You know, the music industry learned this when we tried suing people uh, to get them to stop. And yeah. you'd spend $5 million on a copyright infringement lawsuit against a single mom in Minneapolis who had no money to pay a judgment. Yeah. It was just declared bankruptcy. Well, so what, what did you accomplish there, you know? Um, so you if, if you rely a lot, and speeding is a good example, you rely a lot on voluntary compliance. And in most, maybe most, I know a lot of states, possibly uh, most, Speed limits are set based on how fast people are just going to go anyway, if there was no speed limit. Yeah. Because there's, you know, for every one uh, police officer, there's 10,000 cars, I and mean, who knows? You can't catch everybody. So you have to rely for the efficacy and uh, uh, acceptance of an institution on mostly voluntary compliance or, or non-compliance that imposes minimal costs on others. And I think this is where copyright failed institutionally with music. Uh, the, the the barriers that that prevented wide scale infringement were lifted, right. uh, and know. they were technical. They had nothing to do with law. They yeah. were technical, and and the legal solutions we had relied on them being there. When they were gone, the whole thing collapsed, and the industry you know went to Congress and said, "Help us! You got to fix this, or we're going to go bankrupt." And 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 you know we we're kind of libertarian types. Much to Congress's credit, they said, "Uh." We're not sure exactly <laughs> if we should get involved or not. Unfortunately, Apple solved it for them. So yeah, basically, uh, solved with an asterisk. There's, there's still, there's you know, a lot of chaos and, and change in the music industry, like we said. But the bottom line is, we still have one. Okay, so um, you know, and the same thing here. If if you have social norms around this that get too out of whack, if you get a copyright institution that is too draconian and too strictly enforced to where this kind of thing um, is is you know not allowed on like a per se level. I think you get popular revolt and people who are like, you know what, let's do it anyway. Yeah. Okay, well now what? You're gonna sue everybody again? We're right back to where we were in the late nineties, early two thousand. So once again, I think, you know, we're we've found a way to get all the commercial interests aligned to where it's really kind of better if we just leave it all up in the air and kind of in a gray area. Yeah. And it's and again, I think the value behind that is because it allows either side, if the norm gets away from the norms that they're accepted, for whatever reason, this, yeah. can, be, this can be individual. One company can treat things differently, one streamer can treat things differently than the other ones would. Which we see with music. Which we see with music. The idea basically being, you know, hey, if I get, you know, if this person goes beyond this this line, maybe I have an issue with it. Yeah. But that line may be different for me than it is for somebody else. So inside the, the things, let's say it's all okay, it's just this one they have it. You know, we talk about it, you know, in conjunction with, you know, you mentioned the things with music. Certain artists are vastly more protective about stuff being used from theirs. You know, the one I, I keep in mind is like when I'm going back to our fan fiction uh, episode, my understanding is Anne Rice is extremely protective mm -hmm. and doesn't want, van, you know, fan fiction. You know, okay, that that's, you know, that's her position in conjunction with it. Whereas a number of other artists are like, we don't care about fan fiction. You know, we're fine with you guys generating it. Um, and so I think that that's a lot of what you have is you have this sort of established norms. And the hard part with this is, is it's, and I would, I'm going to go sort of, I don't think out on a limb, but I'm going to extend this here. This is not just in streaming. This is not just in Twitch. This is in fan art. This is in fan fiction. Yep. This is in conjunction with, you know, anything that touches on copyright, you know, that may be out there. You know, I mean, I remember going to the Renaissance Fair and seeing a guy who does an absolutely hilarious presentation where he does um, essentially um, Hamlet and Macbeth simplified, mm -hmm. um, which it's he's utterly hilarious um, when he used to. This is years ago. I don't know if he's still out there or not. But, you know, those are fine because those are non-copyrighted works. But, you know, you kind of bump into it and say, is a guy performing, you know, something making fun of, you know, a famous work that also is simultaneously <coughs> using the work? How do we, 
Do we care about that if he's doing, you know, at some local Renaissance fair? Like, you know, those are the things that I think we've got is it's, this is an area the, uh, where Twitch is not unique. This happens all over in copyright, yeah. where, again, we have kind of these societal norms. The hard part with it is, is we have to recognize, and again, I'm going to jump back to my Wiley Coyote analogy, there may not be a rock under us. Yeah. You know, saying, or the rock may be disattached from the, the, the canyon wall, you know, as to what it is. It's just because nobody's looking down, we don't know yet. Yeah. And the concern is somebody decides to look down. Because when somebody decides to look down, there may be a rock or there may not be. Yeah. And when if there's not, it's not just the per it's not by the coyote on the rock. It's there's all thousands of us, everybody of people on the rock. <laughs> yeah. You know? And so it suddenly is the is the what happens with it. I think that's the real key takeaway from this and the way to think about it. Agreed. All right. Well, I think that's probably enough for today's episode. We could go on about this forever. There are a yeah. lot of, of interesting issues here. Um, if you're interested in this, uh, check out uh, last summer we uh, talked a little bit about Corey Doctorow, um, who is, uh, um, shall we say, uh, a, a provoker. I don't know the word for that, but I use mostly to describe my children. But uh, Corey is an interesting follow on Twitter. He knows about as much about copyright and fair use as I think you can know without going to law school. Um, that's not to say I agree with everything he says. I definitely don't. But um, if you want a thoughtful, nuanced take on fair use, he probably discusses it at least once a month. Uh, and he really understands the key to all this, which is that copyright is contextual. Fair use is contextual. And if you try to take it out of that context and just say, what are the rules? Well, there aren't any, which is what we're really saying here. Yeah. And, and, and that, that's a feature, not a bug. And even Corey, it's interesting because Kirk and I are both roughly libertarian types. Corey is definitely not. Yeah. Uh, but we all agree on this. Like, yeah. we all understand that this is how it works and that it's a good thing that it works this way. Yeah, and it's one of those things you get into the law and it, if you go to law school, you get into debates. Is, is it good to have black letter law, a rigid law that somebody knows sometimes it, is. it is and when it isn't? Yeah, sometimes it yeah. is, sometimes it isn't. Is it better to have a law which is amorphous where people don't know what it is and you rely upon something like yeah. societal norms? And again, it's Go back thing. to the speed limit case. Yeah. It's a great example, right? What could be clearer than a speed limit? Yeah. Okay? It's a number. Thou shalt not go That's, faster than this. It's 45 <laughs> miles an hour. If you're going 46, you're speeding. Yeah. Are you ever going to get pulled over for going? No. It's still amorphous exactly how fast you can go. So yeah. even when I give you a black letter rule, it's not. Yeah. And so I think that that's, you know, it's that kind of thing within it. I can tell you, you know, from when I went to law school, I think anybody else who listened to this who went to law school or you know, wants to go to law school, this is something that you get into a lot, you know, in law school because the question is, is what is a law? Oh yeah, <laughs> you know and I, I mean, if, if it really isn't clear, it's, it's a wide. <laughs> why we talk about this in the podcast? So it's a widespread mis misconception about the law <laughs> that it is some kind of book somewhere, and I think you see this with blockchain as well, and like Ethereum and how um, how uh, you know those smart contracts work. This idea that the law is like a computer program that I can just plug the rules. Once I have the rules, which is the program, I plug the facts in the input, and I get I get the output, which is justice. But that's not how the law works. Yeah. There are human beings involved, decision-making involved, the application of discretion, and going back to fair use. That's why there is no rule. I can use up to three seconds and it's fine. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. You know, yeah. it, it really depends. So anyway, there's, we could go on about this uh, forever, like I said, but the, there's it's it's a it's a deep, thorny issue. Uh, it's a, a quagmire, uh, and um, wading through it is exhausting. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and, but, uh, you know, unlike a quagmire, it's fun. That's true, yes. <laughs> we think this is fun. Hopefully you guys agree. Assume that's why you're listening to us. This is what we talk about when we go to lunch. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, that's all for today. Uh, we'll see you next time. Lauren, play us out. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Lewis Rice LLC, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. 
podcast was produced and recorded in St. Louis, Missouri. You ruined it. All right, here we go. Uh, Three, two, one. And welcome back to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy.